You're listening to Look at My Records. This is episode 224, and I'm your host, Tom Gallo. For this episode of Look at My Records, I spoke with songwriter Katie Ray. Ray just released her debut full length, The Urge That Saves You, late last year. The record is a long time coming for Ray, who got her start in music in the mid 2010s on New York City's open mic circuit, honing her craft at venues like the Sidewalk Cafe. After catching the songwriting bug during the pandemic, Ray began work on The Urge That Saves, eventually tracking the entire record live at Figure 8 Studios. During our interview, Ray and I talked about how The Urge That Saves You came to be, including how learning how to mix and engineer helped guide her creative process, the importance of recording the album live, and the meaning behind some of its standout tracks. Ray also picked some awesome records, including classics from Sly Stone, Cocktoo Twins, and more. We'll dive into our interview right after the jump. If you're interested in hearing more episodes of Look At My Records, they're available on all streaming platforms. Please remember to rate, review, like, and subscribe on your platform of choice. I also encourage you to check out the Look At My Records website where you can find reviews, premieres of new music, playlists, and a whole lot more. Check it out at lookatmyrecords.com. All right, I'm here with Katie Ray. Your new record, The Urge That Saves You, is out now, everyone. It's so, so good. Katie, how are you today? I'm good. I'm I'm good. Happy to be talking to you. Yeah, it's great to, to speak with you. So you, you recently moved to New Jersey, right? From New York, you're in Vernon, New Jersey, right? How are you liking it? Yeah, um, I like it. Do you know about it? You know about Vernon? Yeah. Mountain Creek is there, everyone. If you're familiar with the infamous Action Park, yes, uh, that's where it was located in Vernon, New Jersey. So yeah, I'm familiar mm-hmm. with with that town. <laughs> yeah, we we didn't know about that till we moved here, and we're like right on this ski mountain where I guess, um, it yeah where the where the infamous uh, park was and uh yeah we saw like a commercial for the documentary or something we're like oh my god I think that's where we live that's so crazy people would get like stuck in that loop-de-loop slide yeah yeah a very dangerous infamous water park that I think was kind of close you know there's a water park there's still but I think it's much safer now so I never got to go to the unsafe one because I'm a little too young for the when the unsafe one was around but cool little piece of New Jersey lore and how do you like it up there are you kind of like setting up a studio space in your home and things like that yeah we have like a little um home studio for you know just recording ourselves and mixing and and stuff like that but um we have a studio in Bushwick now um Andrew and I my partner and then we share it with Vishal um, Nayak, who's a great engineer. And yeah, so we really mostly record out of the studio in Bushwick and it's a bit of a commute, but right now it feels really nice to just be in the woods. And I feel like, you know, I lived in New York for 13 years and I was like, can I live somewhere else? I needed to sort of burst that bubble for a second. So we might be back, but I'm liking it right now. Yeah. Cool we have to a get dishwasher. away a little bit. Dishwasher, <laughs> yeah. an essential. Yeah. So it, your partner is Andrew Foreman, who performs as Good Fight, right? And you guys yeah. have collaborated before. You did a record uh, two years mm-hmm. ago, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. He played on The Urge That Saves You, and we weren't dating yet when we recorded that. But um, I guess we were just uh, kind of feeling each other during that session, and... After that, he asked me out, and then we've just kind of been together ever since. Lovely. Yeah. Great music story. (laughs) I was mentioning before we started, the last time we did an interview was on Radio Free Brooklyn. It was like four years ago. So just to kind of reintroduce you to everyone that is listening, I did want to kind of delve into your musical background and how you got first into 
uh, writing and recording your own songs? Because I know you, you started out as an actress, you came to New York, and then you transitioned into to doing music as your sole focus. Tell us a little bit about how you got into uh, songwriting, performing. Well, the songwriting part really was always there. It just was... Um, it's. It, it, like secret is the wrong word. I just wasn't performing out in front of people. Yeah. But I, ever since I can remember, since I was like a little girl, I was writing songs in my room. Um, even before I could play an instrument, I would just write little ditties and songs. And that sort of just continued, I think, as kind of a coping mechanism, like a journal of sorts. Um, and it never really... Like, I don't, I don't understand why I never saw that as a path. Uh, I think I started doing plays in high school and stuff, and I really liked it and felt like I was decent at it, so I decided to pursue that. But um, eventually I was just, like, craving, um, craving making a record and getting out there and performing in front of people, so I started doing open mics and realized how much uh, I loved it, even though it was torture for a few years. I was bad <laughs> I was I, I, like I think there was potential there but <laughs> I'm sure you were better than you think because I actually remember talking to Laura Regan uh, the owner of the footlight and I think you used to do open mics there right and you know she said mm -hmm. she was really struck by how great you were uh, what do you remember mm -hmm. about those first experiences I guess performing in front of people in New York um you know I before I was I was doing the open mics at Footlight. I was doing open mics at this place called Sidewalk Cafe. Yeah, um, and the, that's cl unfortunately closed now, I think. I know. Yeah. Rest yeah. in peace. It was a real strange, strange spot. I, I waited tables there, too. And um, really, yeah, really special, special place. And, you know, I the first few times I got up to play, I couldn't even get through a song. I would stop in the middle of it, forget words. I was so nervous. I, I had the worst nerves, um, just shakes, all of that. So yeah, it, it took me a while. I think most of the issues with live performance for me just stem from being so nervous because I'd feel so good about it in my room. And then, um, yeah, I just, and which is weird, like when I was acting, I felt fine. I would get nervous, but I could really sort of lose myself in whatever character I was playing. But when I had to be myself, it was like a complete nightmare. <laughs> how'd you, how'd you get through that? Was that just, you know, doing it over and over again? Or were there any moments where someone imparted advice to you or anything like that? Um, I, I still, I think, get probably more nervous than most. Um, when I talk to friends who are, who play music, I always, they're like, why do you still get so nervous? I just, um, I just do. I think I'm really hard on myself and I, I don't want to have this fear of letting myself down by messing something up or, but, um, I think it's gotten better. Yeah. Just doing it and then sort of embracing the nervousness, like just being like, yeah, I'm fucking nervous. Okay. And I try to really focus on my band members and less about the audience um, and just really focus on like making something with them. And um, so I'm not much of a performer on stage. I really am like focused, focused on my band. And I kind yeah. of, I don't really face the audience, but I've, I'm allowing myself to just be that way and accept that that's sort of how I am as a, a performer when it comes to to my songwriting. Totally. Yeah. So in 2020, you released Not Enough Sky tapes, and you also started doing, you know, a lot of production and engineering work at that time. You've been doing that over the course of the last few years. How'd you get started uh, doing that? And uh, tell us a little bit about your recording space as well, your studio. Yeah, when we made... Um... The Urge That Saves You, we recorded it at Figure Eight. And, um, you know, I produced it in the sense that I was making some creative choices, but I wasn't engineering. I engineered bits of it um, afterwards, but 
Um, it was mostly a live record and it bothered me that I didn't understand why we were using certain mics and why we were, um, you know, during doing things in certain ways and what the boys were doing behind the glass, making choices. And um, I, I, I also just found it fascinating. So then the pandemic hit right after we recorded and I had this sort of thirst for knowledge. So I learned Pro Tools and, um, you know, Andrew is a really great engineer and taught me a lot of things. Um, and then I started working out of this place uh, that Phil Weinrobe owns called Rivington 66, and that's where I really started learning. And I got some good advice from a couple engineers, um, Nate Mendelson, who engineered The Urge It Saves You, and then Sam Owens. And essentially their advice was like, don't intern, just get into a studio if you can and start recording yourself and friends and learn that way. Yeah. And, um, yeah, and then I just kind of, I, I really enjoyed it, and I really enjoy not having to be like, all right, I have um, 12 songs, and I need to wait six months to record them because I need to set a date with a producer and, yeah. and an engineer. And and I, I really wanted a space, which we have now, that, like, I can day of start recording. Um, and then if, you know, friends want to record, they're like, Katie, I have these songs. Like, great, let's do it this week or next week. Let's use that inspiration and jump right into it rather than you know waiting forever and yeah yeah who are some of the artists that you've worked with so far and do any stand stand out as being particularly uh, rewarding as far as the experience of engineering them yeah i mean all of them in different ways a they're like my very close friends yeah. um you know um matthew harrison was the first record I worked on it's not out yet um but he allowed me to just like I mean we did like it was way too ambition ambitious we did like 12 songs in two days or something and um you know there's there's buzziness there's there's issues with it but it's it's endearing because we're both just like going for it um uh Matthew Danger Lipman uh we made a record with him and I like I, I don't know. I love Danger. Yeah. He's the best and um, Fun, just like a great, talented yeah. guy. Yeah. I love working with Danger. Uh, he wanted to be quirky and experimental and make strange sounds, and we just went with it. Um, and then I just recorded, I'm finishing up, I'm mixing my friend record, my friend's record. Um, her name's Katie Pink, and that's also felt really rewarding as well because it was like a true collaboration um and uh yeah yeah I'm, I'm really excited for all those records to come out me too that's that's a lot of good <laughs> sounds like a lot of good work that you did with some very good artists in this area yeah yeah and yeah <laughs> so i know uh sam evian for Anyone who's not familiar with him, uh, in addition to being, you know, a great uh, musician and songwriter, he's a, you know, a really good producer and engineer as well. Um, I know he kind of you you had worked with him and I, he was sort of influential in, I guess. Your, you know, you doing production work or engineering work, uh, what he say or in part to you that, you know, made you want to pursue this? Well, you know, I, I never actually worked with him. Um, I, you know, I like met him once at a show, but I can't remember how it, ha oh, I, I wanted him to mix the urge that saves you. So I reached out to him and, but I, I, in that conversation, I was telling him how I was very interested in engineering and he was basically like, why don't you just mix it, you know? Why don't you work with some people who know what they're doing, but, like, mix it with them and, and learn how to do it and let your records be your calling cards for future production work. Um, let people who really like your music and your sound come to you. And um, so out of, like, financial restrictions, um, but also taking his advice... Um, He's just got this very, like, do-it-yourself approach. And um, I never really, 
I never had looked at production as part of your voice and your sound before uh, speaking with him. All of that um, goes into the songwriting, the the mics you choose, the I mean, mixing changes the song so much. So, um, yeah, he gave me a lot of mixing tips, just sort of like technical mixing tips, and then was very much about like, hey, just like get in there, mess up, see what happens. Um, and yeah, just told me to just like get started and do it, which was kind of what I needed. It wasn't like some, I needed to go to school again. It was just like getting yeah, in there. No way. <laughs> yeah, no way. Yeah. No way. Fuck school. Yeah, no way. Yeah, no, really. Like yeah. it, it just, it doesn't actually, you can learn all of these things on YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> So. so what was the experience like then, I guess, you know, kind of engineering this record, The Urge That Saves You, with, you know, people that you could, you know, bounce ideas off of? And what was the process like? Because the record definitely has this, you know, listening to it, it was really distinct sound. So it seems like you set out and you had a vision, you know, for how you wanted this record to sound. Yeah, it, at first it was like, we want to do this big live Linda Ronstadt, like 70s uh, record. And so it sounded extremely different before I started mixing it. Um, it really did sound like this big live record. Yeah. Um, and it was pretty much all live other than the trumpet, which I recorded later, um, harmonies, and maybe there was like a couple extra lead guitar lines that we added. But so we did the big live record thing and then I took those sounds and sort of manipulated them in mixing, um, which I think gives it a bit more of a modern feel. Um, I'm not sure I had like too much of a specific vision. It was all sort of in the moment. I was like, I like that, that sounds good. And it's contributing to the song. <laughs> I, I really wanted the vocals to be sort of a giant presence on the yeah, record and that to be are, the focus. Sure, yeah. um, so I was trying to keep the same tone throughout so that all of the songs have, I don't know, it's not a record that you would, like each song is a, a different distinctive tone. They all kind of blend, I think. And I kind of wanted that for this record. Yeah, it flows really well. And I mean, sound wise, you know, I love the dynamics of the songs because I feel like all of them have these, you know, bigger, louder, booming moments. But there's also these really like quiet and, you know, more stripped down moments basically in uh, each song. What, what about that dynamic was like attractive to you? Um, I just like storytelling, you know? And I like yeah. appreciating the lyric and, you know, uh, there's more intimate moments, there's more angry moments. And I think that dynamically you can do a lot to bring people's focus to the story. And so, yeah, that's pretty important to me. And I think something that the live band gets when we play or pretty dynamic. And um, when I was playing with those group of musicians, that was... I'm not sure we even really discussed it. It just kind of happened. Um, or they were really following me and listening. And so, yeah, it is It is quite dynamic. And um, I think it's super important to find space where you can when there's a big live band and you have a lot of players to be like, all right, in this moment, we're only hearing guitar and voice, yeah. you know? And, yeah, yeah, so... Yeah, it's cool. I think I think that's really unique because I feel like in a lot of records that I listen to, there's not a ton of that in play within the same song. But it, it, that's really something that this record thrives off of within each song is that contrast. Yeah, yeah. I think it's um, each song is a bit of a, a journey, an epic journey. And um, I don't know how much I'm writing like that anymore um i think that was just sort of where i was in that time i really wanted to 
to make a whole movie out of like one song. <laughs> yeah, so for sure. And, you know, you've mentioned a couple of times already that you recorded this record entirely live at Figure Eight Studios, which is a studio in Brooklyn. Why was it important for you to record the record live uh, with the full band like that? Um, two things. So I didn't have enough money to do more than I think two days in the studio, <laughs> yeah. which meant that we need to, we needed to just like be rehearsed and hit it. And, um, and then we discovered while we were, were rehearsing that, um, that the reason why the songs were sounding the way they were was because of, I, I, I sing differently when I'm playing live than I do when I'm recording my vocal separately. Um, and it's not necessarily like bad, it's just different. We just wanted like a big live quality. And you know, if we look back at the other takes of the songs, they were all so different. Yeah. Um, we wanted it to feel like it was all happening in the moment and we, honestly just didn't have the time to do it differently so that's just kind of what happened um and I think you know I don't think I'll always make records like that but I think uh it's a really great way to do it if you're rehearsed yeah you have good musicians what was the process like uh, preparing for for that what were some of the challenges gosh uh, well I worked a, a long time with Josh Yeager who was uh co-producer and then he also played drums on the record and we just worked rhythmically for months um kind of restructuring the songs and then we brought in the musicians I don't know we only rehearsed a couple days before we recorded but um I think I think the challenge was honestly just me feeling confident <laughs> and um it was the first time I had recorded a record, and um, I really just had to believe in myself in those couple days and focus and get it done. And um, But as soon as we started, I felt amazing, but I was quite nervous beforehand. And um, Yeah, I think the challenge was more just, just believing that we had done the work and we were, we were ready to go. On this record, too, you know, Comparing it to the first EP that you put out in uh, 2018, which was which was excellent in its own right. But I feel like you've really evolved and grown as a lyricist. Um, how do you think your approach has changed and how do you uh, do things differently now compared to uh, writing lyrics even just like four or five years ago? Um, yeah, I, you know, I don't even even I don't even have that EP out anymore because not that I. I didn't like what was happening or how it sounded, but I, I just feel like a completely different person. Yeah. Um, and yeah, lyrics are incredibly important to me. And I feel like I just got older and started writing better. <laughs> and um, my approach is quite different now. And I don't know if I know how to explain it, but I'm, I feel like more of a, a voyeur in some way. I'm trying to, um, write about how I see other people's experiences more. Yeah. And also, I like the idea of seeing myself in the future rather than I think what a lot of writers do and what I still do, like writing about my past self a lot, yeah. which is very much in the urge that saves you. But now I feel like I'm on this path of like, who are you going to be? What um, relations are you going to have to people? Where are you going to go? And uh, I don't know. I, I'm really trying to understand human nature and why we do the things we do. So I like to bring characters into that or, um, I don't know, make stuff up. It's not so much like these personal yeah, yeah. diary entries anymore. Yeah, which is what it, it struck me as on your first EP. And now it seems more... There's some of that, but a lot of other stuff as well. Particularly, I was thinking of Floods in Houston, which follows like a character named Jessica. But again, the experiences, you know, seem 
you know, attributable to a character, but also, you know, somewhat personal. How'd you meld together maybe some of your own experiences uh, with a, a narrative, like a fictional narrative? Um, well, so it, it's about my mom, and she had told me this story about when these, uh, like, cowboys at this party were beating up, um, yeah, like, a, a kid at her school who was um, gay, and um, she kind of just lost it and, like, broke a bottle and, like, went after them. Oh, wow. And That's Yeah, badass. she kind of just, yeah, she went crazy on him. And that story always, uh, though it is, like, courageous and cool, uh, it made me think a lot about rage and women's rage and how it kind of, when it rains, it pours and uh, and how it, a lot of times that it comes out and sort of standing up for other people. Um, but, yeah, so I was thinking a lot about... Um, how rage uh, affects women and and maybe differently. And uh, I think I, though that was a real story, I sort of was taking myself back to her uh, when she was a teenager and young adult and sort of painting a picture around it in Houston, Texas, that some of it was real and some of it I kind of was um, just... I don't know, kind of creating. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I was trying to kind of understand the nature of my mother and just the nature of my own, um, like, aggression, if that makes sense. Totally. Uh, tell tell me a little bit about the song Lord Try, you know, really one of my favorite tracks on the record, a powerful, uh, really powerful song. Yeah, thank you. Um, it's so weird. Like I wrote a lot of these songs so long ago and that is the one that I can't remember where the lyrics came out of. I know how I feel about the lyrics now. Um, you know, I grew up in going to like a little Methodist church and that's where I started singing. And, um, I always felt like I, um, like I was going to get in trouble with God or yeah, something. Yeah, me too. I remember that feeling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I still feel like that sometimes. And yeah. I know it's not real, but um, like I have a bit of this OCD thing. And when I was a kid, I really had it. Like I would go back in the room and I had to turn the light off three times or, uh, you know, on and off three times or I was going to go to hell. Like I had these yeah. little strange things that came out because of church and, um, I think that, uh, some of the, that song is about, um, the kind of danger, uh, that you kind of crave, um, because you want to test limits or boundaries and see what you can get away with. Um, but then it's also, you know, the, the chorus is sort of like a little gospel song almost, um, like I find myself praying though. I'm not religious. Yeah. It's soothing. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. There's all these elements in that song and it means something different every time I think, but I can't remember exactly what I was feeling when I wrote it to be honest. Yeah. Very <laughs> dynamic song. Clearly. Um, th these songs are like really reflective. Um, you know, as you had mentioned, kind of examining past selves, looking to future selves as well. And, you know, I was just curious, what do you think you learned about yourself after writing these songs? I think that I learned more in the recording process because it, it really confirmed to me that I should be going for songwriting and recording. Yeah. And, um, but I, I definitely, yeah, within the songwriting, uh, I was really struggling at the time with uh, quitting drinking, yeah. honestly. Um, and after I was done writing and we started recording, I actually did that. Um, there's this underlying thing, I think, through the whole record that, you know, it's called the urge that saves you, yeah. which um, I think my urges before that had to do with, you know, alcohol and like, going out and sort of distracting myself. And I realized that I could substitute that with 
it's so cheesy, but music. Yeah. And um, when I have this sort of urge to be destructive, I like try to sit down and, and, and write a song or rec- record and like kind of get to work on something. And that does it for me. That that gives me that like taste of something. Yeah. I did want to ask you about you decided to quit drinking before recording this album. It seems like that decision is really intertwined with the record. What led to that decision and how did it impact you personally and, you know, as an artist as well? I was so excited to finally record a record, but I was being really hard on myself about how long it took me to get there. Um, Because, you know, I kind of came to all of this late, even though I'd been writing songs forever. But I felt like, I still feel like I'm old in this world. Um, I'm 31, but uh, I, you know, it's just crazy that I just now put out the first LP. And um, so I just had a lot of regret about, I think I was so nervous and scared to get started that I would distract myself a lot with drinking or whatever you know, going out and, um, but I've forgotten the question now. (laughs) Uh, Just what What led, all good. What led to the decision to, to quit drinking? How did it impact you, you know, personally and as an artist? I mean, yeah, I, uh, I knew I had an issue with it. Um, had runs in my family a little bit. I wanted a reason to stop. The record seemed like a good reason. And, um, and you know, it took me a while. I, let's see, I did have my last drink, I think, like a week before we recorded. But I had tried to stop a, a few times before that. Um, yeah, I I mean, it's, it's helped me in a million ways. Like, I don't think everybody needs to stop drinking, but... I did, and I I don't miss it at all. Um, sometimes I'll miss, I miss like having a glass of wine with like pizza because <laughs> certain things like yeah. went so well together. But I don't miss the feeling and sort of uh, what it what it did to me. And um, yeah, it it's one of the best decisions I've ever made for sure. Yeah, it's interesting. It's something that I've noticed with myself, too. I haven't quit drinking completely, but I think I've cut back a lot. And the impact that it has on, you know, moods and stuff like that is is really significant. So, yeah, you know, I think it's it's good for everyone to, you know, take a look at that and how it's impacting them and, you know, kind of reassess, especially when you I think when you get into your 30s, I don't know, for some reason, it has like a much more significant impact on my moods, yeah. I've noticed. Yeah, and I I think if you're at all prone to anxiety or depression, which I have always been, it just makes it much worse. So I, I feel like I can actually deal with these things now. Yeah. They're still there, but I can I, I have clarity and I can deal with them. And um, yeah, I just didn't realize how sick I felt all the time and tired. So it made it really hard to show up for myself, um, career wise and, you know, for relationships, friendships, my friendships got better. All of that got, got much better. And, um, yeah. The last track on the record, you know, I felt like kind of really represented the whole record nicely and its messaging and, you know, what it's really about. And, and you've said it's about accepting past selves you know, learning to forgive yourself in order to gain self-respect, you know, kind of so you can become someone new. How do you think that song represents your own growth? And generally just tell us a little bit about that track. Um, I kept going back to this Joan Didion passage called, um, on respect, on self-respect. Um, it's a really great essay if anybody wants to read it. It's pretty short. It's like three or four pages. And um, she talks a lot about, um, I can't remember the exact line, but sort of staying in touch with with your past selves and um, being okay with them and not trying to just forget them um, because then they'll haunt you, yeah. you know, and you'll feel this deep sense of regret. 
but just sort of shaking hands with them and being like, hey, I see you. Uh, you were crazy, but I'm okay with that. And moving forward, um, I felt like a person who had a lot of just, I was hard on myself for no reason. It's like I was in my early 20s and I would like replay these yeah. bad nights of drinking over and over that weren't even that bad, but I just like couldn't rid myself of, I don't know, who I used to be. And um, it's just, yeah, it's just kind of about acceptance and and, and letting those, um, I don't know, Letting the past, like just being okay with your past and um, knowing that you're going to be a million different people and that it's good to, it's good to change. <laughs> so. Yeah, it's all, that's all very true and very wise. You mentioned a couple of times that most of these songs have kind of been around for a while. So what's next for you, you know, songwriting wise and maybe sound wise compared to this record, even though it came out just, you know, a, a month or two ago, where do you see yourself uh, going next? Well, I'm going to record the next one on my own. Um, I'm going to engineer it at the studio and I'm, I'm playing with a different group of musicians. So the sound is um, a bit different now. They're all jazz musicians. So it's, Oh, wow. Um, you know, it's got this sort of, we might do some songs live because um, when we play, it has this real free quality to it. And um, I really don't know yet. I think that we're going to get in the studio and, and we're going to find stuff. And um, I know that it will feel different because I'm going to be engineering it, so I'm not going to have this, like, pressure of, okay, now you need to perform. It's just I'm going to really take my time with it and, and find my sound. I'm, I really think I'm still finding that. Um, the Urge That Saves You feels like the very, like, I just touched the beginning of finding what my sound is. So um, I think the songwriting is quite different. I'll say that. Um, wow, these that's newer songs. Exciting. Yeah, um, the these newer songs, though they're of course all everyone's songs are personal to them. That it's less about like my personal story, yeah. and it's more about like how I see the world and um, people living in society and what's happening. And uh, I'm I'm just really interested in. Um, psychology and philosophy at this point in my life and um and how you can sort of create your own home in the world and how to how to do that how to how to approach that it feels like a continuation of the urge that saves you really but maybe more mature <laughs> very cool that's super exciting can't wait to to hear that in the future uh, last question for this part before we dive into the the records that you selected uh tell us a little bit about the significance of the title the urge that saves you how'd that come to be the title and and what does it mean to you so um i saw this photo at the time i was writing the record and i thought it was a real photo but it actually was um like an art installation but it looked like it was um from the 70s Times Square and it was on a marquee and it says um now that sex won't what will be the urge that saves you and it was right after the uh the what's the best way to like the the like the when the when they were showing like porn in the theaters yeah, in like, yeah, the 70s yeah. yeah um it was right when that started shutting down yeah but it was some artist that did this installation piece. I don't think it was actually there. Anyway, I thought that that was the most beautiful line. Now that sex won't, what will be the urge that saves you? And so I took that and I continued like a poem. And I just, I remember seeing this in a bookstore, this photo, and I just was like, this needs to be a full poem. And so I wrote the poem, uh, like now that sex won't, and I did ignore the drink, crying over pie, kissing cherries pink. Yeah. 
and then I continued That's the, this. The spoken word piece at the beginning of the the record, the first track. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and so I kind of answered the question, um, may music be the urge that saves you? And it was kind of this, you know, all these other things won't do it for you, drinking, sex, whatever it is. And I sort of finished finished the poem. And um, yeah. That's incredible. That's a really cool story of how the title uh, came I wish I could be. remember the artist, though. I wish I could remember. Uh, I have to look this up. All right, now we're going to play a couple of tracks from Katie's new record, The Urge That Saves You. We're going to play track one, which is The Urge That Saves You. We're going to follow that up with Say Goodbye One More Time, and then Lord Try. Now that sex won't, nor the drink, Crying over pie, kissing cherries pink, looking more like America, less like your vision. May premonitions sing, seasons be written, and music be the urge that saves you.
everyone we just heard three songs from katie's new album the urge that saves you we heard the urge that saves you then we heard say goodbye one more time and then we heard lord try and of course you can get a copy of the record at katyray.bandcamp.com that's k-a-t-y-r-e-a.bandcamp.com and of course it's available on all streaming platforms all right, so now we will talk about the records that you picked, and you picked some some really good ones. First up, Song for Our Daughter by Laura Marling. It's the title track off of 
record that she put out in 2020. Tell us a little bit about why you picked that one. All right. Um, Laura Marling essentially taught me how to play guitar because <laughs> um, I went about playing guitar in a really crazy way, which is like only open tunings. (laughs) And um, then I went back to standard tuning. But um, yeah, I would just like tune my guitar to whatever she was, you know, I'd learn her songs, essentially. And um, this song is so special. I think the arrangement is insane. The strings, the fact that she's writing about a daughter that she doesn't have, like what she would tell her daughter. Yeah. Um, if she had a daughter is so beautiful to me and a way that I think I like to approach writing now. And, um, it, yeah, it's just all of her records. It's so strange. I think she's a few years older than me, but when I listen to them, I'm like, you're telling the story of my life. I just relate so much to her records. And, um, even though they're like a little on the folky side for me now, in the time that I started playing music, I mean, I just really connected with her. And um, when I was waiting tables, she actually came in one day and it was before I started recording. And uh, I was so star starstruck. And uh, I ha- was listening to her newest record on the train that morning <laughs> and she was sitting at a table and I, I remember I gave her free cookies and it was like 10 AM and she was like, what? Okay. <laughs> and, um, I didn't even say anything to her, you know, but it, I quit that job the next day cause I didn't have time to, to perform and write music and stuff, yeah. but it was like this sign. And so, yeah, I, I love her. Lately I've been thinking about our daughter growing old All of the bullshit that she might And then next, Sam Evian, health machine off of his 2018 album You Forever. Yeah, I mean, his shit is just cool. I don't know. He's got such a great sound. And um, I love that song. He inspired me to record and make my own music because, um, you know, he sounds the way he does because he records his own stuff. Yeah. And I think that's really admirable. And I, I love that song. So. <laughs> Goodbye, Lucille, number one by Prefab Sprout off of 1985's Steve McQueen. Yeah, I tried to pick songs for this one. I know in our first interview, I feel like I picked really like nostalgic music. This one, I tried to pick stuff that's like inspiring me now. Yeah. And yeah, this song in particular, it's it's so beautiful. The lyrics just... It's it's so um, sensitive to sort of what young men go through, yeah. and I think that's really special. And you don't hear a lot of that, and um, it's uh, it's like what young men need to hear. <laughs> I, young I men so... listen to this record. Do yeah, you do it? Yeah, yeah. It's a beautiful song. You won't make it. Next, uh, a single that I recently acquired for DJing, Sly and the Family Stone, Time for Living. Yeah, yeah. I I started getting into Sly in the last couple years because um, we got this. Oh, no, it was actually in Rivington. Our other studio, there was yeah. a 
a Rhythm King, you know, that little drum machine from the 70s, and it's really easy to use. There's like six settings, and it's in like three and four or whatever. But I know, I'm not sure if it was this record or another Sly record, but he kind of became very isolated and stopped writing with a band and just like recorded to this drum machine. So uh, I was listening to a lot of Sly and I kind of found that, um, I don't know, his songwriting, it was just like really based in reality. Like a good example was like Marvin Gaye's um, What's Going On. He followed that song, that record up with there's a riot going on. Yeah. And that's just so cool. <laughs> no, there's nothing cooler than Sly. It's just really based in reality and it's like, what is happening? It's just yeah. edgy and it's real and it's not like this sort of hippy-dippy, fantastical thing. So, yeah, Sly just... Finally, Ice Blink Luck by Cocteau Twins. I have a single, and it's also also appears on Heaven or Las Vegas. Yeah, I got into Cocteau Twins like really late, I guess, because I was really pushing off getting into shoegaze. I guess I was like, Ugh, yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> um, but when I heard her voice, I was just like done, you know. And um, I just think that. Her voice is just a miracle on recording. Yeah. Um, and I, yeah, I don't know. The, the The melodies are so beautiful, and like if you stripped away all of the production, I think they would be just as wonderful. And I I don't think I hear a lot of that in shoegaze stuff. And so, um, and this song is so strange because it's all were they Irish? Uh, Scottish, I believe. They're Scottish. Yeah. Yeah. It, if you look up the lyrics, I, it's really hard to understand. She's using like a lot of s some kind of Scottish slang. <laughs> <Yeah>. And <laughs> um, like she's talking about like having kids, maybe it's about her kids or something. Yeah. Um, and her father. And, but it's all so sentimental and beautiful. And y you can follow the story without even really knowing what uh, she's talking about. Oh, yeah. I always say it's amazing how uh, evocative her singing is, uh, even though you're not really sure what she's saying. <laughs> yeah. You know, it yeah. definitely elicits uh, emotions from listeners and, you know, you don't even know what she's, you know, saying. So that's just how yeah. strong yeah. and uh, powerful the, the melodies are. Yeah. Yeah. She's like a jazz singer. She's just really, really special. And so, yeah, it's it's mostly that. I just love her voice. Thank you so much for speaking with me, everyone. Katie's new record, it's awesome. It's called The Urge That Saves You, and you can get a digital copy at Katie Ray. That's K-A-T-Y-R-E-A.bandcamp.com. It's also available on all streaming platforms. So before we go, just... Tell us what's next for you. Uh, tell us uh, for people maybe that are interested in recording with you. What's what's uh, the name of your studio space in Bushwick now? And uh, do you have any shows coming up? Um, what's next yeah. for you? Um, I'm calling this. We don't have ex a studio name exactly yet. Yeah. I think we will. But um, I'm just kind of calling whatever I do production wise. Uh, Dying is done. Um, 
which I got from this Judy Sill lyric. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Yeah, if you want to record, hit me up. <laughs> I mostly am, am very focused on recording the next record um, yeah. with my band. So, you know, I'm, I like, I'm, you know, working with friends on their stuff, but, um, yeah, it's less of like engineer for hire, but more like, Hey, let's yeah. collaborate and produce gotcha, something yeah. together. And, um, that's sort of the approach that everyone can feel like they're producing their own, their own record. And, um, yeah, so I, yeah, the next stuff is like, I'm recording this record probably in March, March and April. And then before that, early March, we're going to South by Southwest, and I'm trying to put a tour around that together. Yeah. Very so. cool. Well, that's cool. So, folks, you could see Katie in Texas and in other places as well. Katie, thank you so much for uh, taking the time to speak with me today. Thank you. It's always a pleasure, and I appreciate your support of me and all my friends too it's cool to yeah see totally a great crew yeah <laughs> all right we're gonna play one more song before we wrap things up this is the last track on the urge that saves you it's called star with nine sides and katie will be on tour this month check out the post for this podcast episode or head to her instagram as well for a list of dates Sing. 